0: John chapter 7 beginning in verse 1 it says after these things uh, that would be of course after the things of chapter 6 that we've been looking at and um, Jesus is concerned um, not that Anyone would be able to take his life ahead of schedule. But he just didn't want to cause a turmoil. And so uh, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because of the Jews. Uh, They sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, if you recall, this tabernacle is the one that was held in the uh, the fall of the year, usually October, and it uh, they were commanded to build these little uh, kind of like tents, so to speak, out of out of sticks and timbers and whatever they could drag up and and stay in that in those during the uh, the whole week, seven days. And it was to commemorate the time that the, their forefathers wandered in the wilderness and lived in tents. And also at the same time, it was a celebration uh, at the end of harvest. And so both of those are going on. There's lots of lots of activity. It was one of three uh, festivals that was held in Jerusalem that all the men, uh, and if you could bring your family, you, you were encouraged to, but it was one of three festivals that they were required to attend. So there was, there would have been, uh, some people estimate, uh, there could have been well over a million people uh, descend upon Jerusalem during a uh, time like this. And uh, which, incidentally, would have made it a perfect time for Jesus to do what he's about to do, to go. He he didn't go down when it started because everybody's trying to keep an eye out for him because they wanted to corner him. And, and so uh, he sends his brothers on ahead, and then about middle of the week, he goes and arrives there. Uh, it says in verse 3, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may also may see the works that you are doing, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Uh, what they're doing is they're kind of... Um, Mocking him in a way, and and trying to goad him into uh, going on down to Jerusalem, uh, they they want him to uh, cause a stir. But Jesus, in verse six, said to them, "My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready." Uh, The commentators have debated on exactly what did he mean, your time is always ready, in contrast to my time has not yet come. We know that Jesus said this on several occasions, and the uh, authors of the four Gospels, they made reference to this on several occasions that Uh, He didn't do certain things because his hour was not yet uh, arrived yet. uh, His time hadn't come yet. Well, that's a reference to those uh, days immediately before his crucifixion and leading up to his arrest and then his actual crucifixion. That's the time that Jesus keeps referring to, that my time isn't yet. And when he says, your time is always ready, some people say, well, that means that every day is a good day to receive the Lord and to follow him, to receive the Lord Jesus, and, and any time is good. And as far as going up to Jerusalem in those days, any time is good. You can go, you're free. But I am under um, my Father's direction, and my hour isn't come. And I find it very interesting, if you fast forward 10 chapters to chapter 17 that we re- read previously, the very first opening verse of that prayer in John 17, uh, he acknowledges the Father And then he says, my hour is come. And so you know by that, it's uh, the reason that Jesus came uh, has now arrived. My my hour is come. And so, but here he says, my time has not yet come. Verse 7, speaking to his brothers, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Um, I find it interesting that he makes this statement that the world cannot hate you. And basically, uh, that's true for anyone who is not a true believer in Jesus. Um, there is a hatred toward God and toward Jesus that is just in the world. And if you experience some of that hatred in your workplace or at school or, or in your family even, uh, don't consider it strange. Uh, because um, really, they can't help it. They are they are being led by Satan. They're driven by the things of the world. Uh, you know, uh, they'll suggest, "Well, let's go," you know, and party, and let's go get drunk, and let's go do this, and let's go do drugs, and all. And you say, "No, no." Uh, ah, come on! What's the matter? And, and you say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus." And then, oh man, do they ever turn it on and heckle you and mock you, and and then uh, in some cases, you know, can come become very aggressive to you. And so, don't marvel at that because Jesus says. Um, that as far as you as you walking in the world, they're not going to hate you because you're part of it. But they hate me. And the reason is because I testify of it that its works are evil. I remember Billy Graham saying one time he was invited to uh, play golf with a group of businessmen in the same city that he was going to be Uh, having a crusade. And he said there was this man, uh, he said, I had no idea who he was. And I was just introduced to him, and then we started playing golf. He said, the rest of the time, I never never spoke to him. Uh, We weren't even on the same hole at the same time. But he said, I'd see him way off over there, and he's got his one of his clubs, and he's beaten on the ground with it, and, and that his balls are going off in different directions, and he said, I just figured, you know, no big deal, but he said, after everything was over, he came up to me, and he said he was red in his face, and said, I could tell he was angry, and... He said, I wish you hadn't come to this. You've been preaching to me about Jesus all morning long, and it just ruined my game, and, and it's your fault, and it's your fault. And, and he turned and stormed off, and some of Billy Graham's team was there, and he said, man, Billy you ought to kind of lay off the guy a little bit. And he said, what? He said, how can I lay off any more? I never said anything to him and but he said in relating this story he said just my presence there because he knew who i represented and it so infuriated him that he he just couldn't help but focus he said he doesn't hate me he hated jesus he hates god but i was the one present that represented God, so he took it out on me. And and that's the way it will be with you. Uh, you know, I, I know, especially young folks, you all want to just fit in with people and, oh, and just have chummy buddies and all. But uh, if you're following Jesus, just know they're going to uh, lash out at you. And that's okay, that's okay. You know, uh, I love the saying, any old dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a live fish to swim upstream. And you're alive because you have Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, verse 9, When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, gone up to Jerusalem, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning Jesus. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. You see, the religious Jews, they didn't even want you to, at this time, they didn't even want you to mention the name of Jesus. And they certainly didn't want him showing up, because they knew if he did, people were going to go listen to him. Now, about the middle of the feast, verse 14, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters? Having never studied uh, in order to say the things and teach the way that Jesus was teaching, they just assumed that you had to have gone through their schools and to have been taught and back in those days, you would because they had so many rules and and regulations and and they may teach on one law, but then they would they could spend days on their own rules and regulations about that one law, and so it was impossible for the normal uh, working person to learn all of that stuff. And yet here sits Jesus uh, at the temple teaching, and they know that he hasn't been to their school, and they marvel. And how, how does he know this? He's, he has never studied. And Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine or what I am teaching is not mine. It, in other words, he's, he's making this statement once again about his being connected to God the Father. And he says, "My doctrine is not mine, but His who sent me." There, that there, that occurs again. Um, I never really realized until recently, in reading through this and in preparation for teaching, at how important it is that we understand that God sent Jesus, and. Uh, It has to be important that we know this because it just keeps reoccurring over and over and over and over again. And he uh, makes a reference here that what I'm teaching you is, is not my own. I didn't just go out in the desert and dream this stuff up. This is from God himself who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders who know the law, and they should know from what he's saying. Uh, This is coming from God. Um, They they should know that. Or if... Jesus is speaking on his own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So he's speaking of himself, and that the doctrine that I speak, Jesus says, is true. Because it comes from God the Father. Verse 19, did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Which that, I'm sure, really irritated. Because they were the professionals at keeping the law. Though they were missing it in every way. They were, they were the professionals, and Jesus just hammers them. None of you keeps the law. And because of that, why are you seeking to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered and said to them, and I, I love this response because I can just hear Jesus as he's responding to them. I did one work. I only did one among you. That's referring to when he healed the uh, person, but he did it on the Sabbath. Uh, This would have been like six months earlier. I did one work. And you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, meaning uh, it was Abraham uh, through the fathers that circumcision came. But Moses gave him the law concerning circumcision. And he said, because of this, you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Remember, the law says, Eight days after a baby is born, then on that eighth day you circumcise him. And so uh, it just naturally fell that eight days after some boys were born, that would fall on the Sabbath. And they'd just go right ahead, keeping the law. They'd go right ahead and circumcise him. And so Jesus is pointing this out. If Verse 23, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And, oh, how true uh, that is. But the uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, those religious leaders—they—they um, they had all of their code of laws, and and wow, you dare break one of those, and uh, anathema to you. I mean, it, it was—it uh, was horrible. And so bad, that just like Jesus, they wanted to kill him because he healed someone, and it wasn't according to their law. Again, I caution you about religion in the church. Uh, not here, but just in the church at large all over the world. Most of what occupies the time of the clergy and then even the people going to these uh, really uh, religious, legalistic churches uh, are rituals, ceremony, laws, rules, regulations that have absolutely nothing to do with Scripture. Uh, Years ago, the denomination that I was in uh, and it's not wrong that they have some of these, but they have certain, uh, and they do it every year, certain missionaries that were back in the 1800s or early 1900s that they sort of honor. And so they take up special collections uh, for a whole month. Uh, on the anniversary of of that person's either their death or they're going on the mission field or something, but they've chosen these times all throughout the year to take special collections. Up. Nothing wrong with taking up a special collection, but it's what they do that uh, in doing it that is wrong. As a new Christian, I thought this would, they they put such a, a emphasis upon it. I thought that it was a biblical, kind of like the Jews with their feasts. I thought this was something all churches did. I thought it didn't matter if you were, uh, you know, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, or non-denomination. I just assumed everybody did it. And boy, was I blown away whenever I got out of that and and into uh, Calvary Chapel, and I found out they didn't even know who these people are. And and we come to that time of year, and, and we're not honoring, you know, this person. And I thought, what's wrong here? What's and then I discovered what was wrong was me, because that's what I had been taught. And that's just one example of something that they just made such a, it still goes today they're still doing it today and you go to a different denomination they have different things that that they uh, have and and uh, put such a an emphasis on on uh, joining the church join the church and I've actually asked people during the years that I pastored, they'd come to my church, and I'd get to meet them, and they would come around to the conversation of joining the church. And I'd say, well, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And, well, they'd respond, I joined the church whenever I was, you know, 25 years old. I said, no, wait, wait, that's not what I ask. I ask, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Well, I joined the church. I, no. Church is not a club that you join. You don't pay dues to belong to it. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you are part of the church. That's it. And I've had no telling how many people turn and walk away. Because they, they think that in having their name written on a book and on a ledger, that they're saved. And I get angry when I think about that, at how the church in that process has condemned people to Hell because they're so engrossed in growing the church and adding numbers so that they can report it at the convention every year and get an award for having the most people. And again, whenever I went to Calvary, and I just mentioned Calvary because that that's, was my journey, there were other others doing the same thing, church membership was never even mentioned, but the emphasis was upon receiving Jesus as your Savior. And they were baptizing people by the hundreds out at Pirate's Cove in California, and nobody was counting. Nobody was keeping a record. It was just like I thought this is probably how it was in the days of the apostles and the early church. People were just falling in love with Jesus and accepting him and all. And the, the religious church could not stand it. They still can't. They, they just. It blows me away. What, what is so hard about understanding if you want to be saved? Come to Jesus. And I, in my simple mind, I can't get that. I don't understand why, why that is so difficult. But it is, because the church has made it that way. And Jesus butted heads with that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, it was that kind of thing that led to him being crucified, that they were so angry because Jesus wasn't doing things the way they thought Messiah should be doing them. Don't judge in appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Then some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill, but look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Well, you know that's not true because the scripture says he will, exactly he'll he'll be born in Bethlehem, of course. Uh, A lot of these people knew that. His brothers were there. They knew that. Uh, But they're not speaking up. Uh, It just, he was born there, but they quickly moved, uh, um, settled in Nazareth. Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. So he sets the record straight. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me. There's that reference again. He who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Then they sought to take him But no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. So, basically what 's been going on is there the crowd, the rulers, everyone is murmuring arguing talking they're they're talking about Jesus, but it's not all favorable and there's some are saying he's got a demon, others are saying he's uh he's a deceiver he's evil, and others are saying no he's good he I think maybe he may be the messiah, no he's not because he didn't come from the right place. And Jesus interjects, Hey, you know where I come from. And and uh, there's some of you present here, you know where I was born, you know where I live, but my real source of where I came from was from heaven. And he sets them straight again. And it was the Father that uh, sent. Verse 30 um, well, no, 33. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And I would imagine they're truly scratching their head about this time saying, what does he mean? that he's going to who sent him. He's, a little while I'll be here, and then I go to him who sent me. And you will seek me, but you can't find me. And, and where I am, you cannot come. Um, speaking to the religious leaders, that would have really, if they understood... That he came from the Father and going back to the Father in heaven. This would have really cut like a knife. Um, If you would turn over to the next chapter, chapter 8, and uh, this same topic comes up again in verse uh, 21. Chapter 8, verse 21, Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from beneath, meaning you're from the earth. I am from above, meaning from heaven. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In the original language, uh, that last sentence, the word he is not there. And if you'll notice in your Bibles, it's in italics. And the translators uh, insert those kind of things sometimes to make it easier to understand, though literally that word he is not there. So literally that last sentence would read, For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am. And he is speaking to some of these religious leaders, and he says, You will die in your sins. Wow. You do not want to hear that from Jesus. That is just, you you may as well just quit right there. You will die in your sins. And the reason is you refuse. You will not believe in me, he says, that I am. You won't believe in God. You won't. You, won't you, you believe in your rules, your regulations, your ritual, your ceremony, and your interpretation of the law, and your adherence to it, but you won't just simply believe in me, Jesus said. pretty serious actually verse 37 on the last day that great day of the feast feast jesus stood and cried out saying if anyone thirst let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers Of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh, In that feast, for seven days, they would have part of their ceremony, it wasn't part of the law. But uh, they had quite a ritual with uh, taking a special silver chalice and going down to the pool of Siloam and catching some of the water and in ceremony going back up to Jerusalem and then into the temple and then they would pour that out on the altar. And no one really knows where that ritual began, but it was um, a central part of what they did each day for seven days. And then on the last day, the eighth day, people were still gathered around, but all the ceremonies are over. And it's on that day that Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, he refers to water himself. And I found it, well, wow. He waited seven days to say this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says that just after seven days of them doing this big ritual with the water. And instead of condemning them and their ritual, and saying it's it's not right, he uses it and points to himself again. But he wasn't really speaking uh, about the water. He was c- speaking concerning the Holy Spirit that would be given after his uh, death and resurrection, when the Holy Spirit was given to believers. And what he's saying is that when you become a believer in Christ, this living water, this the Spirit, will flow through you from God out to other people, just like water flows. And uh, it says it it hasn't been given yet um, because Jesus was not yet glorified and. You remember Jesus said that uh, to his disciples and then others listening that I am going to my Father in heaven, but I will send to you the Comforter, uh, referencing the Holy Spirit, uh, the one who will come along beside you. He will dwell in you, and he will lead you, he will guide you, he will teach you. And and while Jesus himself isn't here with us today, the Holy Spirit is with every one of us who is a believer. Have you ever, you know, in searching for a church, have you gone to a church, you walk in, everything is okay, everything is right, people are friendly, but it just something feels out of place and you can't put your finger on it you go to another one and same thing and then many of you testify when you come into here you just think wow I'm at home and it's not that there's anything being done that is right here that was wrong somewhere else this is where God wants you and you just feel peace. That's the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been reading the scripture and you just can't understand what you're reading? It's just, there's lots of passages in John. You know, you just say, what is he talking about? You pray about it and you read it and you pray, go to bed, get up the next morning, and just like a light bulb, you just, whew. Oh, yeah. You're running, look at it, and it's just, you're even looking at it. It's just the same book. (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. I'm not the teacher. I'm just a little messenger boy. The, The real teacher here this morning is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to the people of God. That's the work of the Spirit. We should never grow weary of reading and reading and reading. Did you know that, I don't know how many times now I have read through, especially the New Testament, sometimes just in my personal reading, other times in preparation for being up here on Sunday. I am still learning. I will, I'll, I'll think, man, why didn't I see that? Well, This is the reason I didn't see it. It's because the Spirit of God being the master teacher he knew i wasn't ready for it until the very moment that he illuminates it to me reveals it to me there's in in the study of theology there uh, you can get into uh, the study of revelation and i'm not talking about the book of revelation but revelation, meaning God revealing His truth to you, and I think I've explained this before. There is what is referred to as general revelation, and and that's what is referred to when the Bible says, "And the heavens declare." the the glory of God, and they manifest His handiwork. And, well, anybody can see that. You can look at the forest, the trees, the green, the, or for some people you look at the desert and the dry, and um, you can see the handiwork of God. Um, and as a kid, I can remember going out in the backyard and laying in a recliner and looking at the clouds, and watching them as they would build and oh, fascinated by that and think, oh man, you know. And what little I understood of God, I could understand. He's doing that. That's general revelation. Special revelation is only, uh, comes through the mediation of the Holy Spirit, and it comes through His Word. It may be through a preacher or a book you're reading about God or something, but it's still based upon his word, special revelation. And this contains what God wants you to know, but he won't give you all of it at one time. And I am so thankful. It would have overwhelmed me. And... He he gives you what you need. You know that, that word, I am? And the root of it is, I am the becoming one. I, I will become to you what you need at your point of need. Well, he does the same thing in revealing himself and revealing truth through the scripture. When you need to know something, he reveals it to you. And oftentimes it's through repetitive study. going And just like in this passage, verse 16, who sent me? And uh, verse 28, who sent me? Verse 29, he sent me. Verse 33, I go to him who sent me. And all of a sudden, this is just, wow, jumping off the page at me that he wants us to know God sent him. That is so simple. Just, it, I don't know how many times I have read through the Gospel of John, taught through it. It wasn't until more recent that I, I saw that, and I thought, I just wonder how many times that occurs. It, it just everywhere, and it turns out there's 39 times in the Book of John. It must be important. It was there the whole time, but I only recently saw it. Amazing. Well, we will stop there. The rest of this chapter, they're basically still arguing uh, over over Jesus, and uh, so we don't have to cover all of it verse by verse. Uh, you can read the rest of the chapter and and uh, come away with the fact that. As they argued back then, people are still arguing today um, over who He is. But I know now, he He's the one sent from God the Father. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, we come to a close this morning of looking at Your Word. and We we do thank you so much that you teach us that you speak to our hearts that you lead us you guide us you direct us and in your instruction that you give us what we need when we need it we, we just thank you so much for being there for us and being with us Father thank you for loving us from the foundation of the world thank you And Father, I ask now, uh, once again, that as we depart from here, that you'd be with every one of us through our week that's ahead. Protect us, watch over us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.